Hello everyone and welcome to The Mentor Talk, your unique destination for insightful conversations with experienced professionals. I'm your host Suzette, the CEO of SalesPro for You and more about me during this episode. Enjoy. Without further delay, let's start into today's enlightening conversation with Dermot Dennehy. So Dermot, I am so glad that you made time to talk today with me. And uh, before we start and I kick the ball into your corner, I would like to make a short summary of your background, right? I would like to describe what you did in the last decades in a nutshell. So what I discovered is that uh, you have worked more than 10 years with startups, mainly in every branch except AI. This is what I understood. And you are an expert in B2B as well as B2C, but is completely different. And uh, you have a successful uh, corporate career as well and have been running your own business for the last 20 years on an international uh, scale, which is very important and also helpful for our listeners. And you are working in various industries such as technology, e-commerce, consultancy, luxury, but also now hybrid and remote working, which sounds very interesting for me. Yes, this is you in a nutshell. So, Demot, so I'm glad that you are here. And uh, yeah, let's let's start. And please, you know, maybe you can just explain your background a bit more in detail. Yeah, sure. Okay. Yeah, it's a. It, I've been really blessed uh, to have such a, a very varied background over the the, the last few years. But I think that one point I'd like to make before I even start talking about my background, and I won't go into all the details of it, but one point is I think that the personality type that you are shapes your career. And I think that once you get to about 18 or whatever, when you leave school, you leave secondary school, high school, whatever it is, and then you decide where you want to go, then it begins to shape you. And that certainly definitely happened to me uh, uh, when, I was, when I was that age. So when I was that age, I was working in the retail environment. Um, and I was the youngest store manager in a company called Primark, uh, which is the value uh, and uh, business. Uh, and uh, I was so the youngest store manager in the company. So I was delighted with that. And then at 22 years old, I left the country. I left Ireland, right? And I just left and I went to the UK uh, and I got a job there in retail again. Uh, my girlfriend at the time was coming with me. So I emigrated. I remember I just telling my parents, I'm just leaving. And that was it. I didn't even ask them. I just went. Uh, and that was, it was very young. I was very naive. And I was so naive that um, when I got there, uh, I did, you know, I did what I think was a good job. My girlfriend was meant to come over at Christmas, uh, but she decided not to come, uh, which was devastating, as you can imagine. So in the end, uh, that took my eye off the ball. And within three months, I got fired. So I'd lost my job. I'd lost my career. I'd lost everything. Lost my thousand pounds that I had saved up to come over. Uh, and I'd lost my girlfriend and I'd lost my job. And I think one of the things you'll hear me talk about a lot about is reinventing yourself and resilience and that by God, I had to be resilient those days and I still remember them to this day. So got myself back into retail within a few years. I was an area manager, then a regional manager, still in the value end, uh, doing really well in my career. And then one day uh, I did an interview for a job in the luxury industry and I'd never even heard of the luxury industry. So I was went from value end, Primark, into Alfred Dunhill, which is part of the Richemont Group. And I went there as retail director, but the skills were transferable. They were absolutely astounded when I came in because I was talking things like things about bottom line, which they'd never even heard of. Luxury is all about spending money. I was trying to make money for the organization, which we did, and I loved it. And I went on to uh, to another uh, business uh, just after that. But what I found was that when I went into these businesses, once I'd sorted them out, because I always went in to fix things, I became bored. So I then went on to something else. So that's another trait within my personality. 
and then uh, then one day I left corporate land like that just exactly the same thing one day I said that's it went to corporate land and I went and I worked in uh, sorry set up my own businesses and as you say I've been uh, I've been doing everything from uh, consultancy to e-commerce to uh, tech um, you know, I, I raised money um, uh, and I'll come back to that in a second you know some of them worked and then failed um, and now I'm here at uh, at managed remote teams but yes definitely without a doubt I think the ability to reinvent yourself and resilience are two of the traits that I've got. And also to be able to take risks. Now, sometimes when you're younger, you take really silly risks, uh, which I did, uh, and I paid the consequences for those. And as you get more experience, you you take less risky risks. You're more qualified in what you do. Uh, and I think that that's certainly worked uh, worked a lot better. So, yeah, so e-commerce, my own e-commerce sites, a distributor for luxury brands, but learning all the time and making sure that I always surround myself with every time that I rem- that I can do it with the best people because I am not a master of everything. I've done everything, but I'm not a master of everything. But I have now learned how everything works and therefore I can apply that to every business that I'm involved in, which is really good. But yeah, surround yourself with the best people all the time as much as you possibly can would be, a, I think, a great bit of advice. So that's my career, as you say, in a nutshell, very varied, but tons of experience. Thank you so much. I am really impressed about uh, what you just mentioned with respect to you can change the industry, but the skills you need are more or less the same, right? Yeah, absolutely. You know, I mean, right now I could run any business. AI, as you say, is the one one area because it's so new that I, I that I that I'm not up to speed on. But any other business, I could run a, a bricks and mortar business, like uh, a business like I'm running now, which is a training business. All the skills are transferable. People, most important thing. The people are, are definitely your, your, your biggest skill. If you've got your people behind you, you will be successful. But, and this is something that, uh, uh, that uh, I sort of will probably mention again later uh, if we discuss it, is the ability to make decisions based on what's really driving you. So what I mean by that is this. Money, the money you have in the bank when you're in business, the money you have in the bank drives your decisions. It's not your KPIs. Your KPIs are the things you need to do. So, for example, you've got to get more users or you've got to get more sales or you've got to get more investment. We all know that you need those things. But how you do it is driven by the amount of money you have in the bank. And a lot of entrepreneurs, they don't get that. They miss that point. So they get a ton of cash from an investor, they get 100 grand or whatever it is, and then suddenly they go out and they hire the best dev teams and the best this and a brand new office. And I've done that. My God, I've done it. I've made such silly mistakes. And suddenly you're out of money. And what you should be doing is you should be doing what I would always call the sort of the 60-40 rule. Do 40% of what everybody else is doing because that's flooded. So if you're going to try and do more sales and you think that advertising is good, that should be 40% of your strategy. If you're going to try and find more uh, investment, doing the rounds and doing uh, you know, uh, you know, pitches and all that sort of stuff, that should be 40% of your, of your strategy. The rest of your strategy should be doing other stuff, stuff that nobody else is doing. And I'm going to give you a, a really good example of this. So about 10 years or so ago, I had set up a business, a new startup, and we were we were doing what we were doing. It was, it was all about uh, connecting uh, offline advertising to online sales. Now, bear in mind, it's 10 years ago, right? So we had smartphones. We we're not anywhere near as good as what they are now. And we used to scan the, scan the ad in a magazine. No QR codes. We've got a technology we found we embedded in. So I went to somebody and I, I've been doing the rounds, getting nowhere. Nobody was interested, couldn't get any money out of anybody. Driving me insane. But I knew I had one guy. So I got a guy who I knew I knew had money. 
and I went to his house nine times. Nine times. I went to visit him at his house nine times, and I stroked his ego nine times. And I told him how great he was and how fantastic he was. And he was. I loved this guy, and he was a great guy. And he said, I'm not ready, I'm not ready. No, 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 no. And then one day he said, okay. I said, really? He says, yeah. I said, will you give me a check now? And he said, yeah, 50 grand. But what I knew was that he would open the door. So this is the strategy. The strategy was he would open the door to other people for me. And within weeks, I had another 100 grand from one of the biggest investors, private investors in the country. And I was able to use his name at the top of my emails to say, that's what I just wrote. I wrote his name and everybody opened my emails. Then. And then we went on to raise over a million pounds pre-revenue in the middle of the biggest recession the world had ever known. It was just just less than the depression. But would, would this be, uh, let's say, kind of an advice for startups or scale-ups to be, you know, patient, you know, to try it again over and over? Because you said you stroke his ego like nine times. So what kind of advice would you give, you know, to startups who are looking for, for investments? That's a great question, right? So there are times when you've got to, after the first meeting, you know he's wrong. He's wrong, right? Don't go back to him again, right? But if you're going to go back nine times, you've got to know you're right. You've got to really believe deep in your soul that you want to get this guy. You just need to make it right for him. And that's what happened. Because I've had other investors that I've gone back to two times and three times and I just bin them. I just said, not interested. It doesn't happen. Um, and then, then there are other times you make that mistake and you continuously go back and you can't see it and you fall into a hole. You, you can't get out of the hole, right? You haven't got any money left. It has to be him. He's the only one. It's got to be him. And then suddenly you're bust. Right, so it's a very you know, you've got to be really careful about what you do, but use your your intuition and use your gut. Right, they're two great things that will help you make a decision. So pull out when you need to, stay in when you feel you when you when you genuinely feel you can get it. But also at the same time, be doing the rounds. Right, it's trying to get the investment from elsewhere. So another great example of this is in this current business. So sales, we train managers and employees in organizations across the world to become exceptional hybrid employers. So we train things like mental health, uh, soft skills, trust and productivity, and people and culture. So that's what we do. But training when there's a recession or there's a downtime, so after the war started in Ukraine, everybody just tightened their belts straight up away. just happened. So what do we do about something like that? Well, the first thing we did was we, we, we decided, right, let's stop doing all the stuff that we had been doing, right? Let's stop doing, let's not, let's tone that down. Let's stop sending emails. Let's stop sending all the stuff that we're continuously trying to do, like messaging on LinkedIn, trying to get more connections, all that sort of stuff. Don't stop it completely, but tone it down 40%. So what are we going to do with the other 60%? Where the hell are we going to find money? Where are we going to find sales? Because we need to do this. So I decided that I would find myself business partners right across the world because this business works in every country as long as it speaks English in every single country in the world uh, and they're in business. So I started seeking out business partners and a business partner is anybody who is basically who has got connections within HR. So they could be somebody who currently works in HR, it could be somebody who's in between jobs, it could be somebody who uh, got their own agency, it could be anything like that. So my premise to find a business partner is to say, you bring the people to the door, you bring them to a webinar, I'll convert them from the webinar and I'll give you 50% of everything that we take. That's a massive number to give away, right? Yeah, but but you build trust with this number because 50% is right. I mean, if you fail, you know, you will receive nothing. Exactly, exactly. And it's risk-free for both sides 
And then when we get to know each other, we can do more stuff and more stuff and more stuff. And I have, I've probably interviewed, oh God, in the last few weeks, probably 50 people. And I'm currently at about seven that are now embedded into the business. And we're now, we're now at the stage where we're just waiting for this to start coming through. So, so the point again is you've got to look outside the box. Don't keep doing what everybody else is doing because everybody is on LinkedIn. Everybody's doing all those sort of things. That market is flooded. Find another way to get sales. Totally agree. And I, I really like your approach about the 60 and 40% rule, right? Or this advice. So in general, this means 30% is just uh, do what um, everyone else is doing and 60% is invent something new, right? This was your advice. Yeah, that's it. That's the advice. You know, if you're, um, you know, you're, if you're B2B, B2C, everything is different. But, you know, there are going to be ways that nobody else has thought about. That's what you've got to work out. And you sit down and you get into the mind of other people. You throw everything out. You put your feet on the desk. You close your door. You turn your laptop off and you talk to yourself. That's what I've done. Yeah, very inspirational. So I completely feel you. Um, yes. So, and my question about, uh, you just said that you have to put your laptop down, you know, uh, press the reset button, maybe something like this is, is a good phrase to describe what you have to do. And so how, how are you doing this? I mean, Demot, how do you balance work life? Um, I have in my past been very, I've been less strict about balancing it. Um, so uh, I remember, and I'm very wary about it now, because as I say, I'm, I'm now getting people in different time zones all over the world. But I remember in my past, you know, I had business in China and I had business on the East Coast, or, or sorry, the West Coast of America. So I'm almost on 24 hours a day. And this was the time when the BlackBerry was invented, right? So this is like 10 years ago or whatever. So I had my my BlackBerry, my phone, everything was going off all the time. I was even in the middle of the night, I was answering emails, waking up to answer emails. I had an investor who used to email me at three o'clock in the morning and I would hear it. And then I'd get up and I'd email him back. I was only afterwards that I used to find, I found out that he was always drunk, which meant that that's why he was, he was asking me those questions. But anyway, uh, so yeah, I just think that, you know, there's a work-life balance to be struck and I didn't do it in the past. So now I try to be a lot more strict. So generally I will start in the morning, get up in the morning. I'll go for a walk around the block with my wife. Then I just say, that's just to get my, me going. Uh, then I have my breakfast and then I start at nine o'clock and then I finish at seven o'clock. And this is something that nobody else does. Ever since I've been, since about 18, and when I can do it, and most of the time I've been able to do it, I've actually, I get tired after my lunch. Right? A lot of people do, you know, graveyard shift, that sort of thing. So what I do, right, is I find somewhere and I just close my eyes for 10 minutes and I can super nap just like that. And within 10 minutes, I'm wide awake and I can then go for another six hours if I have to, whatever it is, whatever's left in the day, right? If I don't do it, I'm just nodding, I'm tired, I can't think. And I would advise anybody, not a, you know, don't, don't have to do it, but I think it's a great thing to do. And I'm never ashamed to say that I do it because I think it's just, just really works for me. So yeah, so it, today at about two o'clock, don't ring me because my phone will be off and I'll be having a little snooze. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for sharing this advice. Yes, I completely understand. So what I understood so far is that um, if you have a routine in your work, you should also have a routine in your life, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And weekends, I try not to work at weekends. Um, uh, I'll admit that sometimes my wife works at weekends and if she's working, then I use it as an excuse to work. But generally, I try not to. And, you know, in terms of what I do at weekends, I don't drink alcohol anymore. Uh, I used to drink alcohol when I got ill. Um, uh, I, uh, I got hepatitis and therefore, as a result of that, I had to stop for a couple of weeks and 
And then I just never went back. So that was about eight years ago. And I used to drink a lot. I used to love drinking. That was a great idea. I still do, but, you know, I don't do it anymore. I don't miss that anymore, right? But for me, uh, it's, you know, going out in nature, going for walks, uh, and just doing nothing sometimes. But I'm never doing zero. I'm never sitting on a sofa going, I wonder what I should do now. I have to be doing something, right? My mind has to be continuously stimulated. And then there are times when I do my favorite hobby, which is work. You know, there are times when I will just literally go on my phone on LinkedIn and I would, you know, in, in, we'll say the adverts are on the television, I'll go on the phone on LinkedIn and say, oh, that's interesting. Oh, yeah, okay. So, yeah, sometimes I do that, but I don't consider that to be work. I think I consider that part to be a hobby. I would like to uh, switch back to your expertise with respect to um, your background working in B2B and B2C. Maybe we can speak a bit about this. So what is the, I don't know if there is one big difference, but uh, I would like to understand, you know, kind of um, what is the difference between B2B and B2C? I mean, yeah, it's a good question, actually, because, you know, there is the, obviously there is a huge difference. You know, when you're trying to reach out to B2C, you're, you're talking about individual people and they all have their own mind. They all have their own drivers. They all have their own reasons to do something or not to do something. And, you know, you, you, to try and get a herd mentality, trying to get everybody to do something for you in one go is very difficult. It just is. It's almost, you know, almost impossible all to, 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 to make great numbers. But when you're doing B2B, it's one person that you're trying to listen to you. And that one person has got influence over 100 people or 500 people or whatever it is. And that's the key. So I prefer B2B. B2C is definitely a lot more difficult and sometimes it needs more money. But like that again, you know, there are the, you should still apply the 60-40 rule. Um, you know, we have another business whereby we've got an academy version of, of what we do for individual people. Um, so their companies are paying for it, they pay for it themselves and they come along to the same courses that we run. And and I'm exploring that. Uh, how, how do we make that work? So we're looking at uh, at influencers in uh, in India Uh, where we've already started on the B2B side. Um, but we need to make it work. But again, that's on a rev share deal. I don't pay influencers to, you know, to put out a post because, you know, nobody knows where they even work or not. You know, even if it's only $25, it doesn't make a difference. So as far as I'm concerned, if you're good at what you do, you have that number of people that you say you have, then, you know, this will turn into dollars and into pounds for us. Um, and you can have 50% of that. So yeah, B2C is more difficult, but there are ways around it. And again, don't just go with the normal ways. Don't just go with the influencers. Go with, find unusual ways. Interesting. Okay. So, I mean, I also prefer B2B, but um, maybe you can have also kind of advice uh, with respect to B2C sales and marketing. Yeah, I think, as I say, look, uh, you know, you've got to, it once again will depend on the product and you've got to get into the mindset of the, of the user. And everybody says create a persona. Persona is a completely different thing. I'm not talking about what age they are. I'm not talking about where they live. I'm not talking about whether they're boys, girls, or trans. It doesn't make any difference. That's, 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 that's technical. I'm talking about getting into the mind of the person who's sitting at their desk when they see something come through from you, whether it's an ad or it's a bit of PR or, or something on TikTok or on, or on Instagram or whatever it is. What are they going to think? What are they doing right now? They're at work. Are they going to be able to look at it? Yes, no. If they do look at it, what can they do with it? Can they actually do, can they save it? Do they have to sign up now? Will they sign up now? No. Okay, so was that worth it? Well, yeah, because it's in their mind. Well, no, because they didn't make a sale. You didn't make a sale. You didn't convert them into whatever you want. So you've got to really, really get into the mind of that person and stop trying to be so broad. 
once you get into the mind of one person, you find that all, oh, let's just say you're targeting young people, all young people will still have their phone on at work. Most companies will now allow them to, to pick up uh, a, an Instagram message, but they don't want them signing up to do something. But if the sign up is one click, bang, you've got it. So they're all the sort of things that I would I would look at. Uh, I never, uh, as I say, the 40% is for the persona. Right? It's the 60% is what, I, the 60% is what really interests me. That's what I'm really good at. I'm good at finding out the other ways of doing things. Um, the alternative ways and looking outside the box and that lateral thinking, which everybody's got to have. But not everybody's good at. So that's another important point. Surround yourself with people who are good at lateral thinkers. They will come up with the crazy ideas which will work. You should always partner with um, yeah, business partners who are smarter than you, right? Yeah, yeah. And that's no, and that's no reflection on you. You know, I've had to do it, you know. Uh, I've reinvented myself into new industries all the time, right? So from value into luxury, into my own business, into into e-commerce. I didn't know how to set up an e-commerce site, but I did it and it worked, you know. So, But I can only do it if I had guys and girls around me who were good at what they did. So yeah, definitely surround yourself and don't be afraid. And it's not an embarrassment. You can't be good at everything. You mustn't be good at everything. Get other people to help you. And you don't need to hire those people. You don't need to buy somebody at you know, 100 grand a year. You know, somebody can give you some really good advice Some will save you a ton of money and a ton of cash really quickly. Yes, and this this is exactly why we, we are doing a sales pro for you, right? I mean, that's why we are offering mentoring support. Yeah, yeah. Because it's it's not a shame to not know everything, you know? I mean, it's just normal. You cannot be perfect, as you just said, in every kind of um, um, branch or industry or market, right? So it, it's just impossible. Yeah, yeah. Or a, or event, you know, something happens, my... my My, uh, you know, I remember having a, a shareholder who was very, very aggressive and he wanted to try and take over the business, right? So what do you, how do you get around that? What do you do? There'll be technical things you can put it into your, into your shareholder agreement. You can do all, find out who he is, find out what he's trying to get up to, find out, and then create a plan to make it work for you. So once again, think laterally. So there's always ways around these things. Thank you so much. I would like um, yeah, to finish our episode of today. I'm very glad about the talk we had just and also about sharing also your personal anecdotes with me. So, yeah. And just some closing words from my side. Remember, success is a journey and having the guidance and the wisdom of an experienced professional makes all the difference. And if you have any feedback or if you want to get support by today's expert, Dermot Dennehy, so, or if you would like to become part of this mentoring uh, community of Sales Pro for You, please reach out to my email address. It's mentor at salesproforyou.com. I wish you a wonderful day. Thank you very much, Demut. Have a wonderful um, day in uh, London. And yeah, we talk to each other soon. Thank you. Bye bye. Thank you very much, Suzette. Thank you. Bye bye.